Hi, everybody. It's Neil and Cheryl Josephson from Family Life Canada. We want to thank you for tuning in and even more for investing in your parenting journey. We built this workshop for you to provide real hope, practical help, and proven wisdom for you and your family. Now, just listen, learn, and then live it. My name is Lindsay Calloway. I'm a researcher with the Center for Research on Church and Faith, a research arm of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. I'm here to talk about our findings from a recent study with Canadian evangelical parents, where we set out to answer the question, are Christian parents in Canada successfully passing their faith onto their children? Now, I've been able to ask this question from the perspective of a researcher, but I'm also invested in this question personally. I'm coming at this as a Christian concerned for the discipleship of the next generation, as a mom of three who wants to convey to my children the hope that is in me, and as a pastor's wife who is committed to the church and convinced that the corporate gathering of the body of Christ is an essential part of equipping not only our children, but us as parents. So I'm not a disinterested observer. I'm invested in this alongside you. And I've had the privilege to spend several years reading about faith formation approaches, talking to over 40 parents and 20 family ministry experts across Canada through interviews, and surveying over 1,200 evangelical parents who represented more than 3,000 children in our nation. I'm grateful to Family Life Canada for providing this opportunity to share about our findings and discuss some of the implications with you. Let's get started. Are Christian parents in Canada successfully passing their faith onto their children? Well, I'm going to approach this question into three parts. Let's understand how parents understand what passing on their faith means and how do they approach it. Secondly, we'll talk about success. How do we understand success? How do we measure it? And what do we expect from successful faith transmission? And finally, what parents do to pass their faith onto their children? We'll look at some of the discipleship activities families do in an effort to pass on and reinforce the faith for their children. I'm going to look at what is being done at home, but I'll also identify some gaps. What's not being done? My hope is that as Christian parents and as the church collectively, we will walk away and press on in what we're already doing to disciple our children at home and encourage one another to extend grace, even as we identify some gaps or blind spots. So first up, how parents understand what passing on their faith means. We asked parents a variety of questions about their role when it comes to parenting their children's faith. On average, 99% of parents we surveyed agreed it was very important that they model and teach the faith to their children. This confirms what we learned in our interviews with over 40 parents. The main lens through which parents understand and approach faith formation is modeling and teaching. Parents have rightly identified that our words, what we teach, and our deeds, what we model, signal to children the value and the relevance of our faith to daily life. But let's think about these discipleship approaches a little more deeply. When we spoke with family ministry experts, many said that evangelicals understand discipleship to mean providing some sort of teaching or instruction. It's important to realize that discipleship is used most often to mean faith formation of the mind, 
One pastor said that one of his former titles had been children's education and youth director, suggesting that the emphasis for children is first and foremost about education. Another expert, speaking also as a father, asserted that parents are the first educators of our children. And we absolutely need to be concerned with the renewing of our minds. But we are more than our minds, aren't we? Most often, interview respondents described the goal of teaching as learning the content of faith. They described teaching that is centered on the Bible or theology and often coming in the form of catechesis. Teaching is an important aspect of the faith formation process, and often people will point to the fact that the concept of discipleship historically has student and learning implications. But there is a difference between being a mere student and being a disciple. Just like there's a difference between taking a French class and living in Paris for six months. The first approach is going to focus on the grammar, sentence structures, and vocabulary while the second approach teaches you these concepts through practice by immersing you in French culture. The difference between being a student and a disciple was one of the gaps that we identified in our interviews with parents from different cultural, regional, and evangelical backgrounds. And even when there was a strong emphasis on teaching and learning in the home, there tended to be a gap in religious skills de development. For example, learning how to pray, learning how to interpret the Bible, or understanding what it means to confess sin. These skills were largely left to role modeling. Almost a third of the parents we surveyed, 32%, said they were raised in homes that lacked explanations about matters of faith and demanded unquestioning obedience to the tenets of the faith. And 66% of survey respondents indicated they are raising their children differently than how their parents raised them, even in cases where they shared the same religious identity as their parents. So these findings indicate a significant generational shift in approaches to faith formation. We found parents are not turning to church programs as much as previous generations nor are they accessing intergenerational relationships as a source of support in discipleship. And in many cases, for the parents we interviewed, we found this generational shift in their tendency to rely heavily, if not exclusively, on modeling for faith formation, especially where respondents felt they were denied religious choice by their parents. But an example alone does not tell the observer why something was done, does it? And at times, it will even be unclear as to what was done. My children might see me making a loaf of bread, but they won't know I'm following a recipe that my mother gave me or that I'm using warm water to activate the yeast unless I tell them that the yeast won't activate in cold water and it dies in hot water. The lessons children are meant to draw from parents' examples still need to be explained and interpreted. And it may even be false to assume that time spent in the same room with a child is in fact time a parent is influencing them through their modeling. Their attention may very well be elsewhere, scrolling through TikTok, building underground cities on Minecraft, or in the case of my five-year-old, drawing up plans for a robot dinosaur. But one study we consulted revealed that without parents signaling the value of spiritual matters in daily life, it is rare for children to spontaneously pick up an interest in such matters on their own. 
anyone who's ever gone sledding with their kids knows that the sled is going to stay at the top of the hill unless someone gives it a nudge. And some people call this Newton's first law of motion, but now that I have kids, I just call it dangerous. But children, they're going to remain in a state of disengagement like that sled if they're left to their own devices, especially if those outside forces like parents do not spur them into motion or participation. But here's the thing. There's very little debate in faith formation research about the importance of role modeling. But researchers understand role modeling as substantiating religious convictions with action. So think about it like this. What's significant about our God is that he is a God that speaks. And in the creation narrative of Genesis 1, there is no separation between what God says and what God does. The harmony between God's let there be declarations and the mighty acts that follow, light, water, land, creatures, humanity, this leads us to believe that what he says is true because his actions always follow through on his word. When our words are at odds with our deeds, it calls our character and our convictions into question. So role modeling as faith formation cannot merely be demonstrating decent behavior and hoping our kids catch on. We need to explain and interpret what we are doing. It's not just doing what we say, but saying what we do. When children receive true discipleship, not mere instruction and not mere example, we are giving them what Peter calls a gentle and respectful reason for the hope that is in us. And successfully passing on our faith is more than offering our children scripts and rituals. We need to signal to our children the value of what we believe in everything we do with every breath we have. We're setting out to understand if Christian parents in Canada are successfully passing their faith on to their children. And we just looked at what passing faith on means for parents. Our findings show that parents understand it in terms of teaching, the content of the faith, and modeling faithful behaviors. But both approaches tend to leave a skills development gap when practiced in isolation of one another. Now, we also need to grapple with this idea of success. So when we ask, are Christian parents successfully passing their faith onto their children? What do we mean by that? And how do we measure that? Here, we're concerned about the idea of faith transmission. Transmission is the concept at work when we say things like, you're a chip off the old block, or the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's the idea that children adopt the beliefs and behaviors of their parents. And this is key, so let me say it again. Faith transmission is the idea that children adopt the beliefs and behaviors of their parents. We relied on this definition for our research because it points to things that can be measured, beliefs and behavior. Faith transmission is largely a question of seeing if the faith behaviors of parents are later replicated in the lives of their children. And that transmission is said to be successful when children's expression of faith through behavior closely matches that of their parents. Now, we measured both beliefs and behaviors in our study. But in this next section, I'm talking strictly about behaviors, which are often a good indicator of belief. We measured if parents are successful at passing on their faith to their children by looking at the rate at which children adopted the faith behaviors of their parents. And remember, transmission is successful when children's expression of faith through behavior closely matches that 
of their parents. So let's look at what kinds of faith behaviors parents practiced to pass their faith onto their children at home. We asked parent survey respondents to tell us about the discipleship activities in the last four weeks for themselves and each of their children. And this is important because we can see how children's participation in these activities changes by age. We asked about different discipleship activities, including things like praying before meals, listening to worship music, journaling, memorizing scripture, and so on. Our list was by no means comprehensive, but we did reflect what we heard in our interviews. I'm just going to home in on two significant findings because that's all we really have time for. So we're going to talk about faith in everyday conversations and Bible reading. Children's participation in certain faith activities are going to be dependent on developmental stage. For example, we don't expect children to talk about faith before they're verbal, nor do we expect children to read the Bible before they're literate. So look at this chart with me. Here we've mapped out how many children talk about their faith in everyday conversations. We have children under three in green, then children ages four to 11 in light blue, and youth ages 12 to 17 in dark blue. Now we expect to see low numbers of faith conversations among the three and under category. But what I find interesting about these survey findings is that talking about faith in everyday conversations does not change much between elementary and high school ages. That means even with a developing vocabulary and critical thinking skills, teens are incorporating faith into their daily conversations about as much as they did as children. Did we stop asking? One possibility is that the times and places where we used to talk about faith every day with our kids started to become independent times and private spaces. And that's natural and normal. I don't know how my son will feel if I insist on talking him in every night and reading him a Bible story when he's 16. But rather than seeing those as lost opportunities, what other times or new spaces can we leverage to invite our youth and teens into talking about faith? The car on the way home to practice? The dinner table? I'm told teens still need to eat no matter how uncool their parents are. But maybe we got scared of the questions they were asking. Maybe their interests and behaviors seem too foreign to us. Maybe we need to take an interest in their hobbies or ask them to teach you something. Because humbling ourselves to learn is in fact demonstrating a posture of faith. When my daughter was younger, she wasn't meeting the vocabulary milestones, milestones for her age, so she was put into a speech therapy program. And interestingly, the entire program was aimed at giving me tools and exercises to help her speech develop. I didn't have to be a therapist to help my child's speech development. And we don't need to be experts in theology or apologetics to help our children develop their faith. Most of the guidance I was given was to take every opportunity to engage with what she was doing and speak into it. Let's look at one more discipleship activity, personal Bible reading. Bible reading is one of those core disciplines of the faith, especially for us evangelicals. Now, once again, we don't expect to see high levels of Bible engagement until children can read, but we're also only seeing a 6% increase in reading the Bible as children age into their teen years. On this slide, we've spread out the average personal Bible reading frequencies for parents of children at each age. Parents' rates of Bible reading are in red, 
and they stay about the same as their children age. Their children's rate of participation is in blue. What I want you to see is that in those later teen years, the gap between teens and their parents isn't closing. And the Bible reading frequency of a 17-year-old doesn't differ all that much from a six-year-old. We'd expect that as children approach adulthood, their level of participation in personal discipleship activities would begin to converge with that of their parents if transmission was indeed successful. But according to our findings, many of the faith habits that are set when children are young will either wane or stay about the same when children are teens. Now listen, it's not my intention to heap guilt or inadequacy on you as parents. Social media and our culture of comparison, they're already doing enough of that. But I think many of us have sensed a deficit and we've sensed this gap. And sometimes all it takes is a number or a visual on a bar chart to confirm what we already knew. And now we have no excuse but to wrestle with a response. I'm gonna share one more finding with you. We asked parents where they turned to for help in discipling their kids. And the most popular answer was friends. Friends, as a resource for discipleship, provide a confirming presence and solidarity when parents feel like they're figuring things out alone. We can say to a friend, is it just me, or do your teens seem uninterested in devotional times? Or we can say, is Sunday morning worth the missed naps and delayed mealtimes? And a friend can say, it's not just you, this is what works for us. But look how low grandparents fall on this chart as a resource for discipleship. In fact, just as many parents said they did not access any help whatsoever as those who said they did get help from their parents. And parenting resources provided by the church and other ministries outside of preaching were even less commonly accessed. Notice with me, the help parents are receiving tends to be content-driven, not relational. And maybe this doesn't come as a surprise considering teaching content was one of the primary ways parents discipled their own kids. So where are you looking for help? And is it the kind of help that's going to challenge you, encourage you, and build you up? Or is it the kind of help that you can turn off, tune out, or unfollow when it gets uncomfortable? Lessons go deeper when they're learned in the context of relationship. In relational discipleship, as with children, there's accountability, there's feedback, there's a priority for mutual understanding. So what can we learn by looking at how other Christian parents are passing their faith onto their children? Well, I think Paul summarized it best in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where he says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And he compared his approach to what? To a mother and father. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Mothers and fathers, you have a privileged role to point to Jesus in the way you disciple. In the way of sacrifice and humility, we ought to share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And our study only confirms what Paul has written here. Don't deny your children one over the other. Consider how your life infused with the message of the gospel can help your children develop the skills necessary to use the faith you're passing down to them. 
And don't deny yourself the means of grace provided to you through the church. The gift of the leaders in your church, Paul says in Ephesians, are meant to equip you for works of service. And the other members in the church, according to 1 Corinthians 12, need you just as much as you need them. So what measurable steps can you take to ensure that you are being built up and encouraged as you take on the sacred task of passing the torch of faith to the next generation? Because you do not have to, nor should you, do that alone. I want to thank Family Life Canada again for profiling our research in this way, and to our 16 partner ministry organizations and denominations who guided and funded this research, because they believe families are key to raising up the next generation of believers. The complete findings from our study with parents can be found in the report entitled Parenting Faith, available for free download at theefc.ca slash parentingfaith. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you're feeling encouraged and that you have some new tools to try out in your own parenting. Before you go, we want to remind you that our team is here for you to respond to your parenting questions and especially to pray for you. So please email your questions and any prayer requests you might have to questions at familylifecanada.com. We really do want to help.